2: aha ha 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 yeah what it do
1: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 761 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, August the 11th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean, and find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the entirety of the Locked On Podcast Network, if you are a hockey fan, the playoffs are getting going today. The real 16-team playoffs that the Toronto Maple Leafs did not make. You can go listen to the Leafs post-mortem over on Lockdown Leafs with Mike DeStefano. Or say you're a New York Rangers fan, you can go listen to Locked On Rangers with John Chick as he celebrates and probably weeps a little bit into the microphone as the uh, New York Rangers won the draft lottery last night in a dramatic, weird, bizarre fashion. Either way, the NHL Network's going strong for you. Also, baseball, the rest of the NBA Network, of course, too, going strong daily Bringing you everything about the return of sports that you need. All right, on today's show, it's me going solo from my uh, little podcast nook I've set up here in Atlantic Canada. Uh, I'm in Nova Scotia for the next three weeks or so, just kind of. Moving my quarantine east, and uh, I'm looking out at a beautiful inlet in the ocean off in the distance. The fog that has been dogging the coast of Nova Scotia for the last day and a half seems to be dissipating. All is good, and that is uh, amplified by the fact that the Toronto Raptors beat the Milwaukee Bucks 114. 114- 106 last night uh, in a game that saw no Kyle Lowry, no Fred Van Vliet, no Serge Ibaka, and no Giannis Tentacumpo on the side of the Bucks. but still, it was a very fun game that the Raptors pulled out, it was the battle, of course, of Giannis supporting cast present and future, and the Toronto Raptors come out on top, 114-106. Norm Powell with 21 points, looking excellent, 4 of 5 from downtown, kind of regaining, I think, all of whatever mojo he had lost in the first couple games of the restart. He looks very much back to normal. Finishing around the basket, beautiful off-glass finishes, his three-point shot, obviously, red hot. Uh, You've got Chris Boucher with 25 points, Matt Thomas with 22 points. We're going to talk about those two guys in particular on today's show, so that'll come up. We are also going to dive into some questions that I got, mostly Bucks slander-related questions, which is never a problem with me. I'm always happy to do that on the podcast, so we will get into some Bucks slander in the final portion of the podcast. We'll also hear from Nick Nurse after the win last night. ...in the second segment of the show. But let's dive in first to the Chris Boucher and Matt Thomas show... ...which really is what this game turned into... ...and that is an absolute treat and a delight... You know, this game was really fun. It didn't mean anything, obviously. The Raptors had already locked up the two seed. They're playing the Nets in the first round. By the way, we will have a Raptors-Nets series preview coming up on Monday next week with Marcus and Josh from the Locked on Nets podcast. So keep an eye out for that. Um, And so, yeah, this game was just sort of, you know, get it out of the way. I don't think either team really had much incentive to try. You don't want to give away too much to a potential playoff opponent as well. And we saw what we saw. We saw Pascal Siakam kind of run the show on the offense. End for the Raptors a little bit. Didn't look particularly sharp scoring the ball, but I thought he was pretty good in just sort of getting out of the way and letting everyone else kind of flex their muscles a bit. We saw Marcus Gasol. With eight assists in this game, uh, no points, 0-5 shooting, but his offense has been pretty good so far in the bubble, so I'm not terribly concerned about an off-shooting night for Gasol. You had OG Ananobi, not a crazy offensive performance, but wasn't really asked to do a whole lot, only played 25 minutes. This really was a game about Chris Boucher and Matt Thomas, and it kind of reminded me almost of that game last year at the trade deadline when the Raptors were shorthanded after trading for Marc Gasol. They had like seven players available And they beat the piss out of the Atlanta Bucks. I think Pascal had a career high that game. I think he scored 44 or 40 or 38 or something like that. He had a really great game. And my thinking with that game was this was sort of the last bastion of sort of low stakes fun we're gonna have this season this was a game that you know the Raptors weren't expected to do much in because they didn't have anybody it was against a team that didn't really matter and you know you figured once Gasol gets in it's going to be a mad dash to the finish to try to get everything coalesced and together and this is kind of a similar vibe obviously not quite the same because the team is very much coalesced and together but this did kind of feel like all right this game doesn't mean anything no one's playing There's not much to really glean from it in terms of strategy tactics wise. So let's just kind of enjoy it for what it is. And Chris Boucher and Matt Thomas going off was basically the means by which we enjoyed this game. And I had a blast. I'm sure everybody else had a blast. And it's always fun poking fun at the Milwaukee Bucks. By the way, a big shout-out to the Bucks' social media staff for just serving up the meatiest of fastballs for the entire Raptors internet uh, <laughs> online community to knock out of the park uh, in posting the tweet. For some reason, they thought it was smart. The day they played the Raptors to post a tweet about the Bucks beating Toronto in Toronto to move to 2-0 in the season series five hours before tip-off where they said went up north and went up 2-0. I, I don't know why that was the idea for the Bucks. I, I'm sure there's a talking to happening to somebody right now because they, of course, got dunked on like they were Giannis in game six of the conference finals by Raptors fans, uh, usually in some sort of variation of, oh, and then what happened? Because the Bucks clearly forgot, apparently, repressed the memory of going up 2-0 against the Raptors in the conference finals. Either way, that's an extremely online thing that happened. If you're not online, you're probably like, what the hell are you talking about, Sean? So I will carry on to the actual game. In terms of Chris Boucher and Matt Thomas, this is sort of, you know, the next phase of the eighth man watch we've been doing for the last couple of weeks here in the bubble. You know, this started out with just seven guys who were playing pretty well, as we talked about with Sahal on the Sunday show. You know, basically this felt as though it was trending towards maybe the Raptors just roll with seven guys and that's kind of fine. And that's not a big deal considering the lack of travel and all that stuff. And a lot of teams go down to seven guys in the postseason and it's not the end of the world. You know, this game obviously throws a wrench in that because Chris Boucher was unbelievable. 25 points, 11 boards, two assists, two steals, two blocks, 9 of 15 shooting, 3 of 7 from downtown, and maybe the dunk of the season for the Raptors. This has not been a particularly dunky team. Um I think you could probably take the two dunks Terrence Davis had against the Golden State Warriors and put them right up there. But the two-handed dunk in traffic on the run by Chris Boucher in this one was ridiculous and is certainly on the shortlist for dunk of the year for the Raptors, which of course is the most important award in the entire lexicon of the NBA. And I just, I thought Boucher in this one outside of that dunk was just really fun. He was energetic. He was crashing the offensive glass, which is always a nice little boost to have, um, just kind of flying around like a maniac. His defense was... You know, in position, it was smart. He wasn't sort of like lurching all over the place trying to go for blocks, just the two in this game for him. But like I thought his defense was, you know, sound, which is not something you often associate with Chris Boucher. He kind of often makes up for his lack of soundness with his crazy athleticism and his ability to recover and get to blocks. But I really thought he was pretty steady in this game and definitely his best game by far of the bubble. I mean, he's barely played up until now, and I don't know where he fits in. I still think he's probably behind Ronda Hollis Jefferson in the eyes of Nick Nurse, considering Ronda's defense is a little bit more reliable and his offense, while it's not very good, you can kind of predict what he's going to do. He had five assists in this game as they put the ball in his hands late in this one, kind of running those little deep pick and rolls where they'll have someone set a screen for him like in the paint because what's the point in doing it? up? pie and then he kind of just gets going downhill and can make stuff happen. And so I still think Ronde's is probably ahead of Boucher. But I do think Boucher, of all of these bench guys we've talked about, even Terrence Davis, when he's on, he kind of has the highest upside of any of these guys. So maybe it's an example of, hey, you throw him in. If he's hot early on, you kind of just stick with him. And then maybe that's a guy who can swing a game for you in a way that maybe a ronde can't really. He's more just a bit, a bit of steady defense and some reliable offense at times. Although in this one, I mentioned the five assists. He also had six turnovers. So take that. With a grain of salt for sure, and then you have Matt Thomas, who we talked about on Sunday, who had 22 points in this one, four of eight from downtown, nine of 17 overall. Really looked sharp in this one. There's very few things that are more fun on the Raptors than watching Matt Thomas run around in a circle around on the offensive end, past the you know a bunch of screens, and then pop open for a wide open three, and then the sort of clamping down of his space that takes place over the course of a game as a team realizes oh this guy is a ridiculous shooter we should probably defend him you would have thought the Bucks might have learned to defend Matt Thomas at the three-point line in the last game that these two teams played when Matt Thomas came in and I believe had like 12 points or something like that and hit a few quick threes right away. Um, They obviously didn't remember that or didn't care. And Thomas got off to a great start 15 points early on in this one. And, you know, it's tough because his defense is obviously a liability, but maybe it's not so obviously a liability. I mean, one on one. Yeah, he's not very good. He gets, like, vaporized by screens quite often. A couple examples of that, of that in this one. But, like, off the ball, as a team defender, if you're putting him on the other team's worst offensive player, you know, someone who's just designed to stand in the corners or whatever it is, he's fine. Like, he just kind of gets in the way. He tries hard, which is the most you can ask for from someone who's not athletically gifted enough to be a good defender, just kind of on their own merits. And that is good I guess I mean obviously when the playoffs come around he's the kind of guy who you kind of bail out your you sort of change your offensive approach I think probably to try to attack and you maybe sort of say all right yeah maybe we don't really want Dante DiVincenzo handling the ball a bunch but if he's got Matt Thomas on him then maybe we give it to him and he can run some pick and rolls and we can try to exploit them that way and so that could definitely be a liability but His three-point shooting is ridiculous, and the space that he sort of opens up as two guys flock to him around every screen is really, really important. And I also think, this was noted by a couple people last night, I wish I could remember online who it was, and you just kind of see it throughout the game, he does have some touch with the ball in his hands a little bit, and he can kind of make a pocket pass here and there, he can make a pretty good rudimentary read, and I wonder if maybe you sort of, when you have him out there, whether it's with like a Lowry or a Van Vliet or whatever it is, Maybe sometimes you just throw him the ball and say, hey, run this pick and roll with Siakam or with Gasol. And then maybe he kind of works the offense and that, you know, the threat of him with a pull up jumper, which obviously is that very much really had a couple to uh, last night where he was like on the run in transition and just like pulled up out of nowhere over a big. And I was like, holy shit, <laughs> that is uh, that's impressive stuff. And maybe, you know, you can kind of work in Thomas as a bit of like a secondary ball handler a little bit, get your other guys running off the ball. All of them are good shooters. And then the stress that that would cause a team knowing that Matt Thomas pulling up from three is basically an easy three points. I wonder if maybe that kind of opens up other things for you. This isn't something that will work over the course of a full game. You're not going to see 37 Matt Thomas minutes in any game going forward. But I do wonder if there's a, a way to sort of get him the ball a little bit more and have him initiate and sort of use his gravity as something that you can use as a tool to find things elsewhere. And then maybe it swings back to him at the end of a possession and he can bury a three in someone's eye. Either way, great stuff from Matt Thomas. He's an absolute joy to watch. I could watch that dude shoot all day. More questions on him a little bit later on. I believe when I get to the quick mailbag at the end of the show and the buck slander segment of the podcast. Um in terms of the eighth man watch, I mean I think we've kind of we're spinning our wheels on this one topic because it's the only thing that's kind of a concern right now. Now that Powell and Abaka seem to be kind of back to being who they're supposed to be, I think maybe we just see a rotating cast. That might just be the hedge and easy easy answer, but you know, Davis Johnson, not Johnson, why the hell did I say Johnson? Johnson is not good at basketball. Sorry, Stanley Johnson. (laughs) You're not going to be in the rotation. You got to shout out on the podcast. Good for you. Um, But no, Boucher, Ronda Hellish-Jefferson, Terrence Davis, Matt Thomas, those four guys, maybe it's just a matter of matchup. Maybe it's just a matter of who's hot. It's not going to be much more than like Jody Meek's minutes from last year's playoffs, I don't think, for any of these guys, unless there's an injury or foul trouble or something like that, but uh, it's nice to know at least that those guys are kind of rounding into form a bit. Even Terrence Davis last night uh, looked a little bit better, 10 points, 5 of 8 shooting, did foul out and set 16 minutes, which uh, is kind of a thing with him as he's very jumpy and foully, but um, you know, he's, he's kind of coming back together a little bit here, so it's a little bit more peace of mind knowing they're going into this with... You know, maybe not necessarily a sure thing eighth man, but four guys who are kind of rounding into form and playing at least pretty well, and maybe any of them could be called on depending on the matchup and what you need at a given time. We are going to continue on with the podcast. We're going to hear from Nick Nurse on the other side. But first, I want to remind people that you can start your morning with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. Axios Today host Nyla Badu and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trend shaping our world on Axios Today. Again, 10 minutes, a podcast you should listen to every single day to get the news from around the world. There's a lot of it as it turns out. Also, today's show was brought to you by My Bookie. Say with me now, sports are back, baby. I've been waiting for this day since March, so have you. And now that it's here, we should all only have one thing on our minds, and that is my bookie. My Bookie is a home run, slam, dunk, triple overtime game-winning shot, all wrapped up into one. I love it, you love it, and that should be all you need to hear in order to start betting today. My Bookie has up-to-the-minute odds on all your favorite teams, and with the start of sports and the playoffs getting rolling in hockey and basketball and all of that, there's never been a better time to start playing. With MyBookie, it's easy. You bet, you win, and they pay. Feel good about your team's chances this year. Be sure to check out MyBookie's World Series futures bets, as well as the Stanley Cup and NBA Championship ones as well. Nothing shows you believe in your squad like betting on them before the season's even begun. And you don't even have to keep it to just one sport. Smart bettors are always looking towards the future, and in this case, that means basketball, hockey, football, baseball, and more. MyBookie is already accepting bets on all your favorite NBA, NHL, and NFL teams. There's never been a better time to start exploring Exploring the world of online sports betting. Join today and MyBookie will match your deposit 100% plus they'll toss you a free $10 MLB future wager. All you got to do is enter the promo code LockedOnNBA when signing up. Remember, at MyBookie the terms are simple. You bet, you win and they pay.
2: The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and LockedOnNBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league
1: All right, let's tune in and listen to Nick Nurse after the Raptors win last night, talking about the sort of bench dudes who got some run and a whole bunch more from the Raptors win over the Milwaukee Bucks on Monday night.
0: Uh, We all know what Matt and Chris Boucher bring in their own skills, but are you seeing them expanding their skill sets that maybe make it easier for you to play them? Well, uh, yeah, I think I thought that both of them you know, after the restart, probably especially Matt looked to be doing more than just catching and shooting, right? He had, he's working on this little separation move to the right. He's playing inside the line a little bit, um, making plays, passes. Um, the hard part is, is, like I said before, the other guys want to play more than they're playing. And uh, it's hard to find them room sometimes, you know. But if you are looking for that guy, that eighth guy and maybe the ninth guy, the versatility each of them is showing would force their name into the conversation more, I presume. Yeah, you know, I, you're right. I, should, I shouldn't. Uh, again, it's, it's just a numbers game. It isn't. I, I believe in both of them. That's two games in a row, Matt. has been, A, a spark plug and a game that really mattered and then really, really good tonight, right, just as a basketball player. Uh, Chris is, as well. I thought he was good against Memphis too. Uh, I don't know. I guess I just don't know really what to say um, other than we believe in them, and there's going to be circumstances we're going to need them. And the first thing we need to do is is they need to come in and impact with energy and try to make some positive plays. Thanks very much, Nick. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Doug. Next we're going to Michael Grange from Sportsnet. Um, how encouraging is it when you see a guy, let's say uh, Matt Thomas, actually show signs, of demonst- demonstrable signs of improvement? That, you know, he's not the one type of, he, he's showing more in his game. I thought he did tonight. You take note of that. That's yeah, good. It's, it's, um. You know, I think, I think, uh, you do some comparisons of what he's like around the league, and I think he's learned some stuff from some guys, right? You know, and we can show him some of that stuff. It's, you know, some of those moves he's making tonight, you know, where he's dribble separating to the right and faulting up. That's, that's very J.J. redick like. And, you know, we've talked about watching film with him and working on that stuff. And, and I, I not only just looks like a better player to me ever since the restart, and, and it's the skills have improved and the confidence playing, playing, playing the game and attacking the paint, necess- not necessarily having to do anything other than to make the right play. Sometimes it's a pull up, sometimes it's a kick out. Thanks very much, Nick. Yep. Gonna go next to Josh Lewinberg from TSN. Hey, Nick.
1: With your two point guards out, your two primary ball handlers, did you see anything you liked from the other guys in terms of initiating the offense?
0: Well, it was, it was a challenge, right? It was good to, good to have Pascal run some stuff. Um, you know, you probably noticed I was doing a lot more set play calling tonight, and the guys were executing them. Even though guys were out of normal positions, they were figuring out a lot of that stuff. Um yeah, we didn't seem to be under much duress or confusion, which is what you would think when your two primary point guards are, are out of the play, you know, are, are out of the game. So I thought both Pascal and Rondé um, did a nice job of, of handling.
1: Norm's had a few solid games coming into this one, but you've been saying that you, you've been waiting for and expecting a, a big Norm game from him. This is a little bit closer to what you've been expecting?
0: Yeah, I, I think again, he just looks confident to me. He's getting to the shots. He's getting to mid range. He's getting to the basket. He still had a couple toughies at the rim, um, but I loved a couple of his deep threes. Love some of his dribble pull up threes as well. Um, and yeah, he's, he is playing better than like I expected him to do a little bit more. Yeah.
1: All right. So a little bit of Nick Nurse there. You know, I thing I kind of pull from that, particularly when it came to the first response talking about Chris Boucher and Matt Thomas, is that it does really feel like he's not super feeling the idea of maybe expanding beyond seven guys. Maybe there's not a total trust there. It's nice to hear some kind words about Thomas and Boucher and, and all that, but uh, really it does sound like he trusts his seven guys, and it's going to take more than one game with little meaning against the Bucks minus Giannis to fully convert him, but nice to see that he's at least impressed with Matt Thomas coming around. Um, a noted lack of praise, I think, there for Chris Boucher outside of, yeah, he played pretty well against Memphis, so we will keep an eye on that. We know it's uh, not always easy to emerge from Nick Nurse's doghouse, and certainly... Is probably going to take one or two games more than what we saw against the Bucks and Grizzlies the last couple games here on the back-to-back. We're going to come back on the other side, and we are going to wrap up with some Bucks slander in the form of questions from the listeners. Uh, It's just, it's too easy at this point. So we're going to do that and a whole bunch more to wrap up the show. And uh, a reminder to make sure you're checking out all the Locked On podcasts, especially for those that the Raptors are playing, the teams that the Raptors are playing, that is. Locked On Sixers is uh, hosted by Keith Pompey. That is going to tee up the game, of course, the Raptors have against Philly on Wednesday night. So highly recommend you go check out Locked On Sixers as that team has a whole bunch of stuff going on right now. Go check it out. All right, we're going to move into the listener question slash Buck Slander portion of the podcast here, but first, I want to remind people to go check out Locked On Nets. The Raptors will be playing the Brooklyn Nets in the first round of the playoffs starting next Monday or Tuesday. Of course, we will be teeing that series up with the hosts of Locked On Nets, Marcus and Josh, but go listen to the podcast yourself to get the latest on what's going on with the Nets, uh, regardless of what their relationship to the Raptors is when it comes to the playoffs. They've been playing some fun basketball. They've been uh, doing some weird stuff. Karis LeVert seems to think the Raptors... Raptors are gettable, which they're probably not or absolutely not in this series. But either way, go listen to Locked on Nets with Marcus Barahal and Josh Bass, who I'll be doing a podcast with on Friday that'll drop on Sunday night or Monday, depending when the Raptors and Nets start their series, probably at noon on NBA TV somewhere. Anyway, let's get to your final uh, batch questions here that came in talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, goodness. So let me just preface all of this by saying it's okay to joke about the Bucs and also still know that they're really damn good and probably still significant favorites over the Raptors in a potential conference final series. That's okay. With all the issues we've talked about, the Bucks half-court defense, the Raptors' half-court offense maybe not having the juice to pull it apart four times out of seven, Giannis being by far the best player in a series, all of that still applies. That's okay. It's still fun to joke and laugh until the Raptors lose to the Bucks. It really doesn't matter. And even then, there's no way the Raptors will lose to the Bucks in as embarrassing and humiliating a fashion as the Bucks did last year. So we'll always be able to hold that over Milwaukee, folks. And uh, the slander will never, ever go away. Anyway, let's uh, get into some of your questions here. First one comes uh, from 40 and dunking at Midlife Vertical. If George Hill and Matt Thomas competed in a 100-shot, three-point contest, who would win? And how many threes would they make out of 100? Um, This is not really Bucks slander. George Hill's very good. (laughs) And so we're starting off soft for the Bucks fans out there. Um, I would say if this is contested, maybe it's pretty even. I mean, like, I don't know. Matt Thomas, I think, because he's a bit of a smaller guy, maybe more prone to having his shot contested or blocked than George Hill. So maybe I'll say... It's like, uh, you know, while Matt Thomas is slightly better shooter, probably in like a pure three-point shooting form basis, I would say they both probably shoot like 45%. Maybe George Hill a slight uptick, but keep in mind, most of George, George Hill's threes this season on the Bucks were wide freaking open because uh, that's what happens with the Bucks offense. And so keep that in mind. But yeah, I think it's probably about a dead heat. If we're going non-contested, just in a gym, I feel like Matt Thomas probably hits like 90 of 100. He's a freak. Uh, George Hill, probably something like 70. That's my guess. Maybe that's overestimating the powers of NBA players uh, to hit shots in a gym. I don't really know the, uh, the the usual hit rates in a gym, but if it's like a contest, I think Matt Thomas for sure. By the way, Matt Thomas should be in the three-point contest next year because he has the prettiest freaking stroke, and I want to watch that 30 times in one minute. Uh, let's get to another question here. This one comes from Masai Crush Mondays at Toronto takes is it crazy that I have no fear of Middleton and Bledsoe in the playoffs even amidst them both having incredible regular seasons um, probably yes to the Middleton one I mean Middleton's very good he's very good defensively his mid-range shooting is absurd he was excellent this season I think better than he's ever been and he's also quite a good defender who you know potentially could throw you could throw him on uh, Pascal Siakam you could throw him on a uh, Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet and kind of neutralize a Van Vliet in particular in that matchup That's certainly a problem. Eric Bledsoe, yeah, it's not crazy that you have zero fear of him. He's given you no reason literally in his entire career to have any fear of Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs. So no... I think it's totally fine if you are uh, sitting there looking at Bledsoe, uh, the man who deserves a championship ring for his work to get the Raptors a title last year, uh, and saying, eh, I'm not, prove it to me first, because he has never shown up. He was not particularly good last night either, and I am not uh, an Eric Bledsoe believer necessarily as someone who you want on the floor. Closing out games, I think, you know, we've talked all season long about the Bucks and the Malcolm Brogdon thing, and maybe that's been overblown, and they were totally fine and survived it because George Hill's been so good. I do think when you get to the postseason, not having Brogdon to like replace Bledsoe in lineups. I think will feel like kind of a hit yet George Hill maybe just does it and they roll out a hill in Middleton backcourt with a DiVincenzo or something like that and they keep Bledsoe off the floor but um, I do think the uh, the lack of Brogdon in that context will certainly be felt in, in a way that it hasn't been felt in the regular season as the Bucks kind of have that regular season formula down kind of regardless of who they have this is the Mike Budenholzer thing it doesn't really matter the personnel the way they play is a regular season, regular season wins machine and I think that applies very much to the this year's version of the team as well and all of the questions we have about them will be answered in the postseason Middleton I think I am pretty confident is very damn good I <laughs> like he's frustratingly good but even then he's maybe not what you want in a number two option Bledsoe yeah prove it to me before I don't think you're a coward and a fraud anyway let's uh carry on next question here comes from Uh, Rajko Avlias I'm so sorry I know I always screw up that name Uh, question is should Giannis move his family to Toronto now where it's safer rather than waiting a year yeah why not take it from the safe Orlando bubble just fly right to Toronto after this season's over boom you're done you're safe you're all good Um, maybe because we don't really know what next season's going to look like it could get cancelled we have no clue America is a uh, virus ridden hellscape so who knows when the NBA season's going to take place and yeah I would say just be safe Giannis come to Toronto the cases are down there you go all good uh, next question here comes from Nathan Sizemore he asked how many games if any should the Raptors lose in the playoffs again against the Bucks to help their play- to help their chances of landing Giannis is 3 going to make him more bitter than 0 will 2 just remind him of last year will 1 remind him of the number of years left on his contract this is a good one I think if the Raptors Okay, I'm assuming under this, under this question, Nathan is saying the Raptors win this series. Which, again, all Bucks slander aside, probably not likely. Let's just put it out there. Either way, it's not that there's not a 0 percent chance. I think the Raptors could win probably like thirty of hundred of those matchups. So let's uh, let's again assume the 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 Bucks win this series. But if if we're under the assumption that the Raptors win. I would say that the Raptors letting Milwaukee win two is probably the sweet spot. I think one is... I mean, maybe one. Like, (laughs) Obviously, if you sweep them, it becomes kind of a no question. But yeah, the bitterness thing comes in. If it's one that you kind of might also get the bitterness there as well. Two games feels like something where... It's like, okay, very clearly, the Raptors are the better team. they won this pretty handily in six games, but you know it's it kind of leaves a little bit of doubt as to oh, is this like a front runner move if I'm going to go to the Raptors, is it a front-runner move of me, is it a KD-style thing where they're that razor-sharp of a, of, a, of a margin between the two teams, and I'm just jumping over because it's the easier way to go. So I, I think two is probably the sweet spot. If it's a 4-3 series, maybe, you know, Giannis sells himself on, hey, there was a flip of a coin there, this team's very good, all my stuff's in Milwaukee, I don't want to move, what am I doing? Um, we're just going to stay here and run it back because, man, we had a really good shot there, more so than we did against the Kawhi Raptors. So I think two is the sweet spot, If the Raptors go in and lose in seven as well, I think that also kind of works because, again, you get that coin flippy aspect and maybe Giannis is still sort of like, man, if it wasn't for me carrying this team through game seven, there's no way we beat this Raptors team. I don't want to carry the load anymore. I want people around me to help me out. So that's my breakdown there. If I'm like thinking of the optimal series lengths, it's Raptors in six. Bucks and seven and then kind of everything after that a Raptors sweep does feel like it'd just be like a very again leaving a bitter taste in the mouth while also looking like way too much of a front runner move if Giannis jump ship to the Raptors after losing four nothing to them in the playoffs so very good question Nathan thanks for sending it in and I hope I've spent a reasonable enough amount of time breaking that down a last question came in here uh, this one is not at all tied to the Milwaukee Bucks but we can wrap it up with this one This one comes from AVP17. Would Matt Thomas and Chris Boucher have started for the 2006 through 2012 Raptors? That is a very good question. Obviously, different iterations of the team. You got Chris Bosh in that first one with Jose Calderon, uh, TJ Ford's in there. I don't think either of them start between 2006 and 2009 because that was still a team that kind of had designs on being good. I don't believe Jason Capono ever started. That's sort of the closest corollary to Matt Thomas. I think he was a bench guy. I think that sort of makes sense to me. Matt Thomas coming off the bench. He would certainly make sense as a a player on those versions of the Raptors because he was a guy who went to Europe after trying to make it in the NBA, didn't get an NBA deal, went to Europe, came back. That feels extremely Brian Colangelo. So I would say definitely... He's on the team. He might just be the Jason Capono. Maybe he's the Anthony Parker, although Parker was much better. Let's be honest, that guy ruled. So, But yeah, I think he's on that team. Chris Boucher, I'm not sure. They had Jermaine O'Neal. They had Chris Bosh. They had um, Jorge Garbajosa for a little bit before things got depressing there. Obviously, they had Bargnani. I don't think Boucher gets in there because they really have to try to make the Bargnani-Bosh thing work, and I just don't think Boucher gets the chance. Um, You know, Maybe if they don't get Jermaine O'Neal, they have Boucher start at the four and Bargnani goes to the three again, and <laughs> that works. But I don't think either of them start in that era. You know, the 06 through 08 teams were pretty decent. You know, they weren't great. The East was kind of bad. They kind of were, uh, you know, at least the 06 07 team was kind of a, a benefactor of a, of a shitty Eastern Conference. But, the, you know, those guys would have had a place on those teams for sure because it wasn't so much the starters that were bad, it was everything else on the team was bad. So they'd be bench guys between 2010 and 2012. Absolutely, these guys start. I mean, Maybe you could argue that Matt Thomas is up against too many young guns when he's up against Sonny Weems and DeMar DeRozan for wing minutes. I think Weems probably ends up uh, moving outside of the starting lineup and falling out of favor eventually a little bit sooner. Um, And so maybe Thomas slides in there. Boucher. Yeah, like him and Amir Johnson as your starting front court, I think you probably are okay with that. Um, you know, once Jonas Valanciunas comes in, then maybe he gets moved out. But I think he would probably find his way into the starting five on those truly ghastly Raptors teams. All right, that is going to do it for today's podcast thank you so much for tuning in uh, thanks for all the questions that came in as well it's always fun to make fun of the Milwaukee Bucks even after a game that probably means nothing in the grand scheme of things but hey we can joke and laugh forever and ever and ever you can follow me on Twitter at Woodley Sean subscribe to rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast it's so so appreciated when you do that you can listen to my other podcast uh, basketball with Katie Heindel you there's a Patreon page for that at patreon.com slash basketball with two H's if you want to support over there We've got a fun announcement actually coming out on Thursday's episode of the podcast if that is something you're into that will be only catered towards Patreon subscribers as well Uh, and that's going to do it we'll talk to you again on uh, Wednesday actually I won't talk to you Vivek and Katie are taking over for the next couple days because I am enjoying Atlantic living and I'm going to be taking a couple days off from the podcast so Katie and Vivek will have you for the next two days I should be back on Friday and I will have that Nets preview as well with Marcus and Josh from Locked On Nets coming out to start off next week in addition and uh, Uh, With that, we'll talk to you again soon. And Katie and Vivek will talk to you tomorrow with another episode of Locked on Raptors.
2: Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music.